Joe Wolfon, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I'm okay, man. Thanks so much for having me back on. Yeah, you know, um, for the next couple of weeks at least, I'm gonna be re-exploring the stuff white people like blog that was created in 2008. Are you familiar with this? A lot of people I reached out to were not familiar with this. Yeah, so I remember when it came out. It get I guess like what like late 2000s. Um, I remember it being a thing. Uh, and was it Justin Halpern? Am I remembering that right? The guy who created it. See, it was created by a, a writer in Canada, actually. Um, oh, the screenwriter named Christian Lander. And he co-authored it with uh, his Filipino-Canadian friend, Miles Valentine. I don't know why. I feel like I thought Halpert was involved with it, too, now that you mention his name. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. But um, I was sort of, like, tangentially aware of it. Uh, and I remember... Because it, it was a blog, but it also got turned into a book, as I recall. It was yeah, like a coffee it, table it, book. it became like a New York Times bestseller book. They basically just compiled all the blog entries. I think there were two books, actually. So this was like one of the bigger sites back in the day, I guess. This would have been like 12 years ago now. Yeah, because I do, the the memory I have of it, it was of it being at like a friend's place and me idly flipping through it um, and chuckling about the parts of me that i recognized in there yeah well you're here today to discuss uh, the parts of you that you recognize from this list uh, and you you're one of the best people to have on i mean besides the fact that you're white you know your twitter profile is literally white guy dark humor which i always laugh at when i see i just think it's brilliant thanks man yeah i mean look you gotta you can't hide from it, you know, and I, I think it's uh, it, it was important to me when I set up my Twitter to to represent myself um, in an honest way. And and I just want to say I, I appreciate you doing this and, and giving us white people a platform to, uh, to talk about things that we're actually authorities on. So good on you, man. Yeah. You know, I'm a equal opportunity podcast and, you know, this is going to be a very educational experience for me you know i've already learned a lot and i'm really excited to learn from you today so let's get right into it so the first item that you picked from the list that you want to discuss was snowboarding joe wolfon tell me about your personal relationship with snowboarding i gotta say before i get into this this is like easily the most difficult one to defend because snowboarding is like objectively stupid it's like and, and i skiing is also but snowboarding is just like a goofier version of skiing um, where, especially as I get older, like the, the older I get, the more ridiculous I feel striving on a snowboard. But like it's stupid expensive. It's really inconvenient. Um, it's often just like uncomfortable. Uh, it's you spend like 95% of the time that you're doing it either waiting in line at the chairlift or just like riding the chairlift and it a, a day of expensive and inconvenient skiing or snowboarding can just get totally derailed by like shitty snow or if it's too cold and usually the best part of it is just like the end of the day when you kick off your boots and like take off the many layers of clothing that you're wearing and just kind of like kick back and have a drink. Um, so 
all of that's to say, uh, what's not to like? So what is your favorite part about snowboarding? I mean, it's just, look, if you get, if you get a nice day where it's not too cold and where there's like fresh snow, um, it's just, you can't really replicate that feeling doing anything else. And it's not like the, the rarity of it, I think is part of what makes it great. Like it's a novelty. I go, you know, maybe once a year. Um, and and if you catch a good day, it's just it's just a fun thing to do. Like you go really fast, um, and your momentum just kind of carrying you downhill. And if you, you know, it, it takes a while, I guess, to get the hang of it. But like once you do, and like you you have a sense of control where you can gain a lot of speed, but not feel scared in any way. Like it's just a genuine rush. Um, but Again, like <laughs> it's uh, th- there's a reason that I don't do it very often. So, and how come people choose snowboarding over skiing? Because you might be like me. Like I, I remember having the school trips um, to to go skiing, and most of us would just uh, get our skis on. The- and there was always only a few handful of-, of people who would choose snowboarding. Like why snowboarding over just skiing? Um, so yeah, I, like growing up, I skied, um, and like got pretty good at skiing at like a pretty young age, but around the time I was maybe like 12 years old, I, I don't have a good explanation for it other than to say that like snowboarding was the cool thing to do at the time. And I think like the early two thousands, I felt like were sort of the peak of, um, I don't know really how to describe what snowboarding culture was, but it was like it, it, it had become a new sport at the Olympics. And remember Ross Rebliati? It was like yeah, the uh, he, he, the guy who smoked weed and won. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's, you know, the, there was like an element of sort of countercultural, uh, I don't know, stoner slacker coolness, I guess. But a, a 12-year-old white kid definitely was drawn to. So it got to that point where, you know, like a bunch of my friends were switching over to snowboarding and I started to feel uncool being a skiing guy. So I too switched over, um, just cause it seemed like the cool thing to do. And I don't know, I guess I'm a follower like that, but, uh, now like, you know, that I'm in my thirties and feel sort of increasingly ridiculous snowboarding. I, I would love to switch back to skiing, but I think the only thing that would make me feel more ridiculous than snowboarding at this point in my life would be trying and failing to ski. Yeah, I feel like white people also love um, leaving their like, the, you know, those like uh, ski lift uh, stickers or whatever you call them that you have to put on your <laughs> yeah. jacket. Um, they they yeah. love to leave them uh, on throughout the winter seasons um, as a badge of honor. Definitely. Um, and also, uh, and adjacent to this, so are, were you or are you into skateboarding? I'm not. Um, and that was another thing that, uh, just like seemed cool when I was a kid. And, um, so I sort of tried to get into skateboarding and I like got myself a used skateboard at some point in time. And it was just like, literally like could not stay on the board and just promptly gave it up like it just (laughs) i don't know i was into rollerblading for a while and that was something that i could actually 
uh, master at least to a certain extent. So uh, I, I gave up the skateboarding and decided to commit myself to rollerblading. So I'm going to read you an excerpt from the blog entry and uh, just want to hear your thoughts on this. So on snowboarding, uh, the stuff white people like site said, if one would like to meet a lot of white people, one of your best bets would be to go on a snowboarding trip. Snowboarding is the practice of skiing sideways on one ski. White people love snowboarding as opposed to basketball or football because there's a sense that it is an alternative sport outside of the mainstream. Do you agree with this assessment? I mean, I don't know if that's specifically why I like because I do like mainstream sports. So I don't know if that was what held uh, the appeal for me. But I guess in terms of it being alt as compared to skiing, um, I suppose there's a case to be made there. But I think I, I don't know. I guess it, w what's cool about snowboarding is like it's kind of a minimum effort sport. Like, you might be sore at the end of the day, but for the most part, it's just, like, your momentum carrying you down the hill. Like, you don't really have to do anything. You know, once you learn how to turn, it comes pretty easily. So, um, you don't um, – I don't know. You don't really have to earn, I guess, the uh, competency in the way that you might um, with other sports where there's, like, more physical exertion required. Yeah. Do you have favorite – outdoor uh winter sports brands like do you have go-to <laughs> brands apparel for your snowboarding trips uh no definitely not at this point it's like i'm i'm just cobbling together literally whatever i find like wearing probably mismatched mitts like a, a pair of goggles that like i dug up probably from like my parents storage unit from the 80s um like whatever somewhat waterproof winter coat that I can find. Like I, I don't have uh, like a collection of stuff at this point. And I certainly don't have any loyalty to any um, like winter sports brands. So. so the next one that you picked, we should stick with sports is Frisbee sports. So explain <laughs> Frisbee sports to me, Joe Wolfon. Um, I mean, this was another one for me where it's just, I would imagine, like, if you're if you're going to be, like, a professional ultimate player, obviously that takes a lot of skill. But to just be, like, baseline competent at playing ultimate is, like, super easy. Like, I was always pretty good at throwing a Frisbee. And, you know, apart from that, like, the game itself is fairly simple. All you really need to know how to do is, like, throw and catch a disc, which is easy because it's big and it's flat. Uh and like run and jump reasonably well so it's just one of those things where it's like it's pretty fun because it's fast it's good exercise you're running like pretty much the entire time and it just doesn't require a whole lot of hours you know to be put into it in order to gain kind of a baseline of competency so um i guess what i'm what, what i've been trying to say with these last two activities is i'm, I'm drawn to sports where it's just you know, it doesn't doesn't require a whole lot of effort in order to be relatively good at it. Yeah, so I've actually never played Ultimate Frisbee. And 
So here's a, a paragraph from the blog explaining the rules. Uh, when you first see the sport being played, you will be struck at how amazingly boring it is. Imagine a field of white people running around throwing a frisbee, trying to catch it in a quote-unquote end zone. Sometimes one person guards another, and that's the whole game. There's nothing more to explain. So is Ultimate Frisbee kind of like a, a football game with a frisbee? Like yeah, what are the basic rules that I should know if I were to play with you like tomorrow? Yeah, so you imagine football, but it doesn't stop, right? Like you don't stop to set up the way that you would with a down or anything like that. Um, it, it, you know, it, essentially like the game just keeps going. It's continuous gameplay. Um, so, uh, or I guess it stops like when you score, although there you can play like speed point where you literally, like you score, you just put the disc down and the other team like picks it up uh, and keeps going. Or sometimes if you score, then you like throw off to the other team to start their possession. But like, um, yeah, essentially it's a bunch of people running around trying to get open. One person has the Frisbee and throws it to a teammate. Um, and if it hits the ground, it's a turnover. Uh, and that's, and, and you're just trying to get into the end zone. And that's, that's the entire game. It's pretty simple. And do you like tag or tackle the person who catches the Frisbee? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You tag them. Um, so yeah, it's like, a, it's a game of touch football basically with a disc that, um, that keeps going and there's no limit to like the number of throws, uh, like there's no downs or anything like that. You can make as many throws as you want. There's no clock. Uh, you can just keep passing it back and forth as many times as you want, um, essentially, until it hits the ground. Yeah, we're going to continue drilling down into the rules. Um, so how, how does the game start? Like, do you start at, like, midfield, or, or do you start on, like, your end with the Frisbee? No, yeah, so it's like, it, in the same way that you would have a kickoff in football, you have, like, you throw, you throw it um, from, from your end, uh, to like the other team that's waiting at the other end. Okay, and and then it's just a continuation, and then the game just starts. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's like you, the possession ends either when like the team that has the disc, either they, um, either they get a touchdown or the disc hits the ground or they step out of bounds or uh, like the other team intercepts it. And are you in? Uh, an ultimate frisbee league yeah i mean i was i was uh it was actually will who kind of like i played a little bit um when i was in elementary school and then i hadn't played in years and years and it was actually will who kind of roped me back into it and put me on his team like a few years back and then that team sort of fizzled out and i wound up joining another team that i've been on for the last couple of years and had been playing um like all through the year because they you can play inside like a bubble in the winter um and i've been playing pretty consistently until until covid shut everything down so and are there like there's not really like positions in ultimate frisbee right like you just play no there are people who are better at throwing than other people and so those are like you'll call them handlers and those are always the people like you'll essentially just look for them and try to get them to disc and everybody else sort of just focuses on like running downfield um, and trying to catch it. And then once you do, like if you're not good at throwing, you just look for one of the handlers and let them deal with like the throwing. What are your strengths in ultimate Frisbee? Like 
I can I can actually throw it pretty decently, but I'm like not consistent and I'm not the most accurate. Like I can every once in a while just make like a perfect downfield toss. And I definitely like to fancy myself uh, a handler, but I think probably my my strength is as um, like somebody who just tries to beat uh, the person who's defending me downfield. Well, I would love to you know be invited to a game of ultimate frisbee. Um, yeah, talk when, to when talk to Will, man. Yeah, um, I, I do. I know a lot of Asian friends that are into um, ultimate frisbee, so we're definitely infiltrating uh, this particular sport. And yeah, no, I I would love to to try it out. I'm definitely uh, more interested in playing ultimate frisbee than going snowboarding. So next on the list that you submitted, and I'm really glad you picked this because no one else did, uh, was Toyota Prius. Um, do you currently own a Toyota Prius? I mean, I, I lease a Toyota Prius. So, um, yeah, close enough. Okay, so let me read you this blog entry. Um, the Prius might be the most perfect white product ever. It's expensive, gives the idea that you're helping the environment, and requires no commitment changes other than money. Um, so this is a very environmentally friendly car, as I understand it. Yeah. And it's that a, was the, it's that a, was the I, appeal for you? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I consider myself pretty eco-conscious, you know, try to limit my carbon footprint. And I, I don't think I, I would push back on it being expensive. Like maybe, I guess, for like the size of car that it is. And it's not like a luxury car. And so maybe it's at like the, the upper end of like the economy car spectrum. But it's not like... I'd say it's reasonably affordable and I think you kind of shrink your margins with what you save on gas because it is like hyper fuel efficient and I don't have to fill it up very often. And, um, yeah, I, I did like definitely like the environmental thing was my primary reason for wanting to get it. Do you agree that, uh, the Toyota Prius is a, a white person's car? <laughs> I mean, I don't see why it, should have to be like in your conception is it like is the idea that white people are suckers for anything that makes them feel like they're helping the environment yeah first of all don't put words in my mouth um, no, no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just i'm just reading from a blog entry here um i'm just trying to understand things better um no i do think i, I do think white people do like to be eco-friendly right yeah, I mean, anything to assuage our guilt. <laughs> We're going to talk about guilt or no? <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Yeah. So you got the Toyota Prius, snowboarding, Frisbee sports, and you also submitted camping. So uh, tell me about camping and why you love camping. I mean, it's, it's just, I don't know, it's nice to be in nature, I guess. And, um, I, I don't know, man, like I, I love living in the city. Um, but I also like for as much as I love living in the city, I occasionally do feel like I need to get away from the city. And I think, um, I don't know, there's something really nourishing and, uh, regenerative about just like spending a little bit of time away from it all and 
in like a natural setting uh, where it's quiet and where you can kind of just like relax and paddle and swim and um, not think about anything other than kind of a natural environment. I feel like that's that's maybe the best way that I can explain it. What would be like an ideal camping day for you? Like you hitting the water, um, you know, campfire at night. Like take me through uh, what an ideal camping day is for you. Um, so like my favorite part, of, like the, the best part of it for me is just being on a campsite. Um, so I will usually go on canoe trips. Uh, and so you'll start out like you'll, I mean, I know some people maybe like own canoes and stuff like that like I don't so um you'd have to go essentially to uh like a portage store um where you like rent a canoe um and that's essentially where you drive to and that's where you put in uh and start your trip and then there's like some measure of paddling and portaging portaging being when you like uh you paddle the length of a lake and then to get to the next lake um, you're on land and you have to like pick up your canoe and your packs and your paddles and like everything that you have and carry it like some distance to the next lake. And that, that can be fun, but it's also like a bit challenging and you often just get ravaged by mosquitoes or torched by the sun. And it isn't always the most pleasant experience. Like the most pleasant part for me is just, you get to the campsite and you have like hours of sunlight left and you're kind of just hanging out swimming like you make a fire cook um drink smoke whatever and just sort of while away the time how long when you go camping how long do you usually go for like several days um yeah like three days usually two nights um i've been on longer trips like the longest trip i've been on i think is is four nights and five days but I think, like at this point, my my ideal length would be probably three days. Do you think it's real camping if you're at a campsite where there are like uh, an actual bathroom and showers? I mean, <sighs> I'm just trying to decide if I I can claim that I've gone camping. Uh, <laughs> like I guess, sure. I, I mean, I, I don't. I think it more sort of depends on like where you are, like where where is this campsite that has bathrooms and showers? It's a it's a like out of the city, you know. Like I'm okay. I'm in nature. I actually yeah. have, don't remember at all because this was like years ago, but um, that was my camping experience. And I think the deal breaker for me is definitely the mosquitoes. Yeah, the mosquitoes are tough for sure, and like the sleeping is tough. Like if like sleeping in a tent on a really hot night is virtually impossible. Like you just, I feel like you just won't sleep. Yeah. So, so why do you do it? Um, I, I do it like, like for all the things that I mentioned, cause I think that the pros sort of outweigh the cons and just like having a nice day while you're out on a trip, um, it is good enough, I think to, and it's also, I think for the most part, if you're up north, like it's rare that you'll get a night where it's so hot that you can't sleep. Like it does happen, but I think for the most part, you'll get fairly temperate conditions. And 
I don't know. It's just like being able to jump in a lake at any point in time is something that I feel like you can't really beat. Man, that's the whitest thing I've ever heard, bro. <laughs> um, so those those are the things that you picked from from the site. Did you have uh, submissions of your own? Um, yeah. So and again, like I don't I don't want to be too presumptuous and and assume uh, that these are specifically white things to enjoy um but one thing for me is word games and <laughs> like um like scrabble and things of that nature scrabble boggle crossword puzzles um i recently discovered like the spelling bee uh puzzle at the, that the new york times puts out which i've become pretty obsessed with are you like uh, a crossword guy i'm a huge crossword guy Crosswords are so hard, man. It, it just requires so much general knowledge that I just can't. Yeah, and I mean, the thing with crosswords, too, is like they, they'll they make you feel super smart when you can solve them, but like they don't really correlate to any particular kind of intelligence aside from just like doing a lot of crosswords and getting good at figuring out how crosswords work. What's the word game that you're best at? Is it Scrabble? Um, probably Boggle, and I'm I'm good at crosswords. Like I would say, that's that's probably the one that I'm best at, if that counts as a word game. Yeah, no, we'll include it. Um, anything else? Uh, anything else off list? Yeah, I mean, tennis would be the obvious one for me. I think it's like a notoriously white sport, <laughs> and. <laughs> Um, I, I think it sucks that it's such a white sport and I don't really like the things about it that make it so white, like the kind of, um, uh, prim traditionalism of it. And, uh, I don't know, just like the, it's very stuffy in a lot of ways. I don't think that it has to be like, I think I, I would hope that it would have kind of, uh, adapted and modernized and and not continue to adhere to those um uh to its sort of like aristocratic traditions um but you still see it like i don't know it's a country club sport and like there are a lot of places where you have to wear white to play um and even like wimbledon which is like a major tennis tournament like they still make you wear white which is fucking insane to me um and there's this idea that like it should be proper and sportsmanlike, even though like probably my favorite thing to do while I'm playing tennis is just like loudly curse and throw tantrums when I'm not playing well. Um, but I do recognize that it remains an extremely white sport, so uh, I I feel like I have to include it. What do you think is whiter, uh, Wimbledon or the Masters? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I don't really like watch golf ever so i don't know if i have uh uh if i have the basis of comparison but the thing with the masters is they i think they didn't i don't know if this is still the rule but they didn't let like um black people into their memberships for like the longest time yeah until when like when did i wonder um i mean wimbledon at least 
I don't know. I don't know when they would have uh, when that color barrier would have been broken. I mean, obviously, like Arthur Ashe was like playing in the '60s, um, and Althea Gibson. I don't know when when like the first black player would have played at Wimbledon, um, but uh, yeah, Wimbledon and Masters. That's a close call. I feel like. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the Masters because fuck golf. <laughs> just fuck golf in general are you yeah. not into golfing no and i mean i think that i'm not gonna say that i have some sort of like principled opposition to golf like i've tried to play it before and i just found it so insanely frustrating and i can see what like if if i was really good at golf i can see enjoying it but no part of me like has the patience or the will to, to spend the time getting good at it that it would take for me to actually enjoy playing it at all. Yeah, here is um, f- the Masters. So Augusta National admitted no African-Americans as members until 1990 and no women as members until 2012. The club long required all caddies to be black and barred black golfers from the Masters tournament until Lee Elder participated in 1975. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. Shit. So it's the Masters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, thought, but like, uh, you, Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, like, I don't know. W- Wimbledon remains, I think, pretty racist in a lot of ways. Like, even, like, they're, they've been giving shitty court assignments to the Williams sisters for years. Like, even when they were dominating the sport, they were like, Okay, I was not. not I was not aware of this. Like they didn't play on like the main court. Yeah, in like like they would obviously once they made it to like the semis and the finals, which they sure. would almost every year. But it's like in the early rounds, they're getting um, like shitty time slots and shitty court assignments, in spite of being you know the best players in the world. So um, I, I definitely think there's some ugly history uh, that that Wimbledon needs to reckon with as well. And were they called out for stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. But it's just like as an institution, it's such. It's just like such a, um, I don't know. I guess if they felt impervious to that, um, or like, I don't know. It's just it, it is the establishment. So uh, I feel like change was brought about pretty slowly, and I don't know. I'd have to see if if in recent years that had had started to change at all. Um, but even just in like the way that the crowds have reacted um, to to black players um, or any players who don't kind of fit uh, like the mold of, I guess what uh, what they're used to tennis players looking like um, at the All England Club, I, I feel like it, there's definitely been some questionable treatment um, of players of color over the years. Yeah. Um, so I've got a few items on my list. I don't know if you still have a few on yours. Um, I think the, the last one I had was softball. I'm, <laughs> you're, I'm like, skewing, you're, you're covering all the sports. Skewing <laughs> heavy toward the sports, but um, yeah. Uh, I, I play in a softball league, and it's like overwhelmingly white. Um, so I don't know if I just happen to be playing in an overwhelmingly white softball league, but that seems uh, to me also to be um, 
to be a pretty white sport. And I, I love it like for the same reasons that I love all the other sports I mentioned, which is that it uh, like doesn't require like a whole lot of natural skill. Like um, the fundamentals are sort of basic enough and it's just kind of like a fun, lazy sport uh, that takes up a lot of time and is more of like a social activity, I guess, than it is a sport. Yeah, it's just an excuse to drink beer outdoors, right? Exactly. Not yeah. that I don't love, like, I love the game itself. Um, but uh, as a social activity also, I just, I think it's, uh, it's a pretty great way to spend an afternoon. Yeah. So to wrap up, I've got four items I wanted to throw at you and get your okay. opinions on as um, submissions to uh, stuff white people like. So number one, uh, telling NBA players how they should protest. <laughs> I mean, you're asking if this is, if this is something that like I... What is the question exactly? There, there is no question. It's just a statement. It's just something that I have, I have observed um, over the last few days. Um, um, next is uh, using sports terms in real life. Um, you know, in, in conversations, um, always hear things like, he still got his fastball. Or um, we're at the one yard line on this, you know, we just need to, uh, you know, get over the hump and, you know, just got to get in the end zone uh, on this. Um, just basically um, taking every single sports analogy and sports term possible and translating it into real life conversation. Yeah, that's um, a good one. The third one is just uh, corporate speak or I guess business jargon, like uh, let's put a pin on it or uh, the use of the word bandwidth. Um, or let's take this offline. Um, you know, everything. Uh, people always looking to put a pin on things, you know? Yeah. Um, and the last one what is would uh, just... Another, what would be <laughs> another that? way to say that, though? Wait. Uh, I don't know. Let's just, uh, let's just uh, talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> is that so hard? <laughs> oh, man. No, you've, you've opened up my eyes, man. Um, like not it's enough so bandwidth. Like um, no, I'm busy right now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> is, is is that so hard? Uh, no, I just always found it fascinating. In, in my previous life working at, at a corporate job, I just got such a kick out of just how people speak in corporate environments. It's like its own language. Yeah, I mean, I I think like I've never worked in a corporate environment, so I feel like that's come to me secondhand through like. Uh, I don't know, like TV, I guess. But, um, yeah, I mean, it sounds spot on. Yeah, and, and the last one is uh, just basketball stats in general. Um, you know, <laughs> basketball statistics. And, you know, the real reason why I had you on this podcast is I wanted to ask you this very important question. And that is, what is, in your opinion, the whitest basketball stat? Ooh, um, man, there's so many to choose from. Uh, I feel like I, I, I guess maybe like in this day and age, it's like real plus minus because 
it it just like the formula is like so overly complicated and i feel like most of the people who use it or throw it out there as a stat to like prove a point don't fully understand how it works or what exactly it's calculating um but use it anyway just because it falls under the umbrella of like advanced stats and often seems to like paint a rosy picture of these kind of you know blue collar scrappy um i don't know i'm trying to think of any other sort of like racially coded words that i could use but like these underappreciated players um that somebody who fancies themselves a, a student of the game um likes to uh to kind of tout and so yeah i don't know i feel like that's that's a pretty white stat and like i i'm definitely guilty of like having used it in the past to prove a point um and there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of bias involved in the use of advanced stats in general i think where like if you find one that supports a point that you want to make or supports a player that you like then you'll kind of harp on that one thing and use it even if you don't fully understand the stat that you're using yeah no i think that's a that's a really good point well wolfon that's all i have man i hope this conversation was as illuminating and educational for you as it was for me yeah i've learned a lot about myself man thank you <laughs>